back to another episode of In No Hurry. I'm your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys for another episode. I hope everybody is staying safe and trying to make the best of the situation that we find ourselves currently in our country. The music that you're hearing, as always, is from my good friend Ryan Allwart. So happy to have that music that we can use each week. And I'm really excited about the episode that I have for you guys this week. My guest this week is Jamie Sumner. She's the author of a book entitled Eat, Sleep, Save the World, and it's about parenting a special needs child. And she opens up and shares what it's like to be the parent of a child with cerebral palsy. She talks about the challenges that her son faces, the challenges that she and her husband face, and the challenges that their family face while raising a kid with special needs. I really appreciated her vulnerability and willingness to open up about all of this, both in her book and in this conversation. Just super grateful for the fact that we were able to shed some light on this topic and bring this conversation to you guys. I also really appreciated this book and this conversation because you get to see the beautiful side of her son, Charlie, and how raising a kid with special needs can actually provide some beautiful things as well. There's obviously challenges, but there's so much beauty in it as well. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear her perspective on what that's like. Look, this is a super difficult time for our country and for Americans individually and really for the entire globe. So I just thank you guys for tuning in and allowing this podcast and this conversation to be part of your week. And I do hope that it uplifts you and gives you a little bit of a reprieve from the craziness that's going on in our world. So thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with author Jamie Sumner. Jamie, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you about your new book, Eat, Sleep, Save the World, Words of Encouragement for the Special Needs Parents. I know this book is very, um, very important to you. I guess kind of talk about how this book came to be. Uh, obviously, the, the motivation behind it is your son. But how did you know that this book was something that you were called to write? Yeah, uh, first, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you taking time to, to have a conversation like this about a topic like this. I think that's important. Um, so Eat, Sleep, Save the World really came about um, as an kind of answer to a question I had when Charlie, my son, was first born. He... Um, He was born premature, 10 weeks premature, um, with a rare syndrome. He was incredibly medically fragile. Um, We were in the NICU for three months before he finally came home with a tracheotomy. We were in and out of emergency rooms. Um, He had seizures. He was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at age one. So those first especially the first two years felt very like every, not even every day, every hour felt tenuous. Like what's going to happen? How do I get through this? And it was a very um, isolating way to start motherhood, to start parenthood because he's my oldest. And I just felt very alone. Like no other mom friends of mine could begin to relate to what I was going through. And you know, there were all these parenting books out there, but none of them spoke to my situation. Or if they were about special needs, they were more instructional. Um, they weren't really like offering comfort. And so Eat, Sleep, Save the World was really the book that I kind of wished I'd had. Um, because I want, I know that there are other parents that that need to feel like they're understood and seen that are in my situation, not necessarily exactly the same circumstance, but definitely um, taking care of a child that needs them more than most and struggling with how to be there for their child and also take care of themselves and connect with God and feel like they are walking a fulfilling path that is not just surviving but like thriving which is so much harder than it sounds but um that's kind of what I hope the book would do is kind of bring that comfort to parents like me yeah you walk through a lot of the the emotions that I guess go into being a parent of a special needs child and for you know I'm not a parent yet and none of my siblings had special needs. So for somebody that hasn't gone through it, I think it's 
probably very difficult to conceptualize just what that daily routine is like and what that what that daily life looks like you know i mean as as charlie has grown older i mean what have you i guess kind of learned about yourself as a parent that that maybe you didn't that, that you maybe obviously you didn't know to begin with but you know as you've grown with him and grown as a parent i mean what are some things that you've learned both about him and about yourself i think so when when he was very little i didn't know what kind of parent i would be um and it's this is this is the thing i'm just now learning is that the kind of parent you are changes as your child's needs change so the kind of parent i was when he was little that hyper vigilant um i was more nervous too as a parent back then i've definitely changed a lot now he's about to turn 8 actually next week he'll be 8 and it's a uh, if you look at how I parent him versus how I used to parent him, or even just compared to how I parent my twins who are five, like I'm a much more relaxed, trusting parent than I ever would have guessed I would be. Um, and that's a testament to how far God has brought me over the last eight years. But e- with the twins, you know, they immediately required different things from me than Charlie did. They want and fight for their independence in ways that I had to fight to let go of that. But the blessing in that was that they taught me how to do that for Charlie, how to how to push myself to let him be more independent in ways that I may not have if I hadn't seen my other kids want that. And um, I joke a little bit in the book about how, so the twins ended up, they were early as well, and they ended up in the NICU, but their situation was different in that they were just, they just had to get bigger. They weren't medically complicated. So I kind of joke that we were probably the the chillest parents in the NICU because we'd already survived it, and we'd survived it in such a worst case scenario that to see the twins just happy and just hanging out in their incubators, I was like, woohoo, where are the snacks? You know, like it was just, it's funny what perspective does to you and how you change, even if the circumstances almost look the same, how you can react to them so differently based on how you've grown as a person. You know, I, like I said, I'm not a parent yet, but I, I can only imagine just how difficult parenting can be. And you mentioned that in here, you know, parenting is hard and especially whenever you add in, the fact that your child has special needs, it can make it even more complicated. But then you've got, you know, you, you also have two other kids that you want to parent as well. I mean, what is that? Um, I don't want to say dichotomy, but what is that like? What does that look like when you've got, you know, different types of kids that like you, you, they, they require different parenting styles? How do you balance that? How have you kind of grown in you know, balancing you know, like you said, you got two twins that, um, you know, they were, they were smaller. It's funny. I actually was in the NICU as well. So I can, I can, I was born, I was supposed to be born sometime in the middle of, uh, November and I was born October 19th. So I was several weeks premature as well. So Me I, always too. Have, I always have a little soft spot in my heart for, for premature babies. It's a preemie I was, club. I was very, very tiny. I, I, I have my birth certificate here. I should look, I don't even remember how small I was. I was really, really small. We're going to yeah. have to compare because I was three <laughs> pounds, six ounces. Let me grab mine. I wonder what. I, like this, I, this now, we need to know this. We need to fact check it. Oh, where is it? What does it say on here? Why does my birth certificate not say my, it just says I was born. I'd I have don't to think they do you. say. I think it's your okay. hospital certificate that says. Okay, that's somewhere else then. I don't know. You're going to need I, to ask your mother, and then we're going to have to follow up on this. <laughs> three pounds, I think. That was tiny, absolutely tiny. But yeah. But what does that look like then? With you know, You've got, you, you, you've got kids that require, and I think it's true of most parents, I mean, your kids require different needs, but, you know, especially in your case, your kids require different things. You know, how, how do you and your husband balance that? So that's such a good question, because first of all, you're right. I think every parent has to parent each one of their children differently, um, because no two kids are the same, but it is much more different to parent like Charlie is in a wheelchair um, and he's mostly nonverbal. He uses something that looks like an iPad speaking device thing that he can use, but it's harder to get him to use it than just to use your words. Um, And so for him, he's physically requires more from me. Like I have to lift him in and out of his bed and his wheelchair and the bath and the van and he's heavy. Um, And then as far as like just the simple act of like, 
communicating, it requires more attention. So the thing that I talk about a lot with my kids is that we're not just a family, we're a team and teams have to work together. And it's not just me and your daddy and then you guys, it's we're all working together to make our family work. And so I'm going to need your help with this. I need your help. Can you please bring Charlie this or can somebody hand Charlie this or can y'all see what Charlie wants if I'm in the kitchen cooking dinner and he's trying to communicate like I I get that they understand that they're part of this and they're helping and it's so sweet to see their hearts as they do get to do that and Charlie helps too like he'll sit with them and it's their job to do their homework with him and they have to read their school books to him and things like that that like I don't know that I would have been so intentional about creating that like group effort vibe in our family if it hadn't been for that the needs were so different. But because I am only one person and I don't want to be the person that tries to do everything for everyone or I will just crumble. And I, and I have that instinct like that would be probably what I would try to do, except that God made that literally impossible. I can't be in two rooms at once. I can't. Yeah. You know, I can't literally do everything. And so because of that, we've we've kind of fallen into a pattern, luckily, where we all work together. And I think that sets such a good example for your young twins to learn that responsibility and that heart at an early age. Because now they, they realize my mom is trusting me with this. And I just think whenever you instill that in a kid at a, at a young age, that can only provide benefits as they grow older because they're going to, you know, you would think hopefully carry that heart toward other people as they get older and then eventually become parents as well. And so in a, in a world where you do see a lot of selfish kids and a lot of kids that are entitled, you know, I think for, for kids that, that have that responsibility and, and you know, you see this with other kids too, where they grow up and maybe one of their parents are out of the picture and, you know, a, an older brother might have to take care of a younger brother. You kind of see how that helps them grow up and mature in a different way that they might not otherwise have. And so I would think, you know, that that's going to pay dividends for your twins as they become older. Not that that's like the whole reason for it, but I think it's a great side benefit that they're learning that responsibility. They're learning that care, that nurturing mentality. And like you said, you you can't, you just can't do everything because otherwise you're going to, you're going to go crazy. And and it's just, it's not feasible for you to take care of everything. And that's why you have a family. I think it's, I think it's a beautiful example of what a family actually stands for when everybody's helping pitch in and do things. I hope so. I, I, I try to balance it with, and you guys are just kids too, and we're going to do special things for you. And, and we do, we do try to like make the effort to just as Charlie is, Charlie, we want to single each of them out, not just for their needs, but for their wants too, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. Charlie needs all this, but Charlie also wants this. So we're going to celebrate Charlie with these things. And, you know, Jonas and Cora, they need things from me, but but I also want to be intentional about singling each of them out and see what they want in life and help them find those too. So it's such a tricky balance because like you don't want to put too much responsibility on their shoulders to have to take care of. And you also want to let them be kids, you know? And so I think it's just a kind of a constant like balancing. If you, if like you can imagine like you're on the skateboard or you're on the snowboard and like you hit a good run, but you're always recalibrating, you know what right. I mean? And that's kind of, that's kind of where, I have to be always alert to that, to where everybody is. (laughs) One of my favorite lines from your book, and it was very simple, but you said our different can be good. And I think that that's such a great line to describe kind of what your family goes through. You know, is that something that you do talk to your kids about? Like, you know, people might look at our family and wow, they're different. And I mean, you described the scene, which I want to talk to you in a little bit about when you're in the grocery store and there were some kids kind of, you know, uh, chuckling toward Charlie and you know unfortunately we have people that they see somebody with special needs and their immediate mind their immediate go-to thought is wow that person's different not you know wow that person's beautiful they've got you know they're unique you know it's so, so I mean how, how much do you talk to your kids about you know how that different aspect of your family can be a good thing I, I talk it's so funny so 
I, I wrote another book to roll with it, which is for middle grade students. Um, and it's about a girl with CP and she wants to be a famous baker and she wants to be known for all of these other things than her wheels. And the entire presentation that I do when I go visit schools to talk about this is that different can be good. Different can be awesome. And so the way I talk about it is like, I'll show how Charlie can talk with a speaking device. And then I'll ask them, so you know how you guys can do different accents and you can lower your voice and things like that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll say, but you, you know what Charlie can do? Charlie can change his voice entirely. He can be, he can do, the, he uses a voice named Joshua, which, which sounds like a little boy. There's also an Australian lady on there. There's a British dude. There is a woman who sounds like Alexa. He can do, <laughs> He can do it and he can speed it up and slow it down. So if he's hungry, he can have it say peanut butter, peanut butter, peanut butter over and over and over. <laughs> and it's and it's funny because it's like you see that and you're like, ooh, that's different. And and your instinct is that different is somehow less. But if you think about it, like that's pretty amazing that he has access and he can do that with his voice, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I that's what I talk about a lot. Like we take Charlie hiking in the mountains in Colorado and he has a special hiking backpack. And who wouldn't want that version of hiking where you get to ride around and see everything but not have yeah. to do the work and get to just kind of point and direct everybody else where to go? I mean, it's it's amazing. And so, I mean, he ice skates on in his wheelchair on the ice because his dad likes to play hockey. So Jody will take him out on the ice and do wheelies and skate backwards. And it's like there are so many things that if you can just shift your perspective enough, you could see that. It's not just different, it's different and awesome. I love that. And I, I think that's there's such such good metaphors in that just for all sorts of aspects of life. Because yeah, I mean if you're whether whether it's you know special needs or you're dealt some other hand that you were not prepared to be dealt, the way that you look at it can really, really shift how you feel going forward. And I mean, you talking here about the, the different emotions that you felt, you know, anger and, um, mm-hmm. you know, pointing the finger at yourself and blaming yourself and all of that. The guilt and is heavy. Yeah. The guilt is heavy. Yeah. And so, so I, one of the other quotes that is, was actually right next to that other page, you said, um, if all things work together for good, that ailments and remedies serve the same purpose, sickness and health, wealth and poverty, all of it can lead to the same glorification of God. If we stop trying to point the finger at ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I just like that resonated so well with me. Like, I just I think it's such a beautiful way to not I mean, obviously in your situation, but I think it's a great way to respond to any time that we're dealt a hand that we weren't prepared to be dealt. You know, how 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 did that process look of going from the guilt and anger to, um, I guess, kind of the acceptance, but also not just accepting it, but embracing it to where you're saying, Man, look how awesome Charlie is. He, he can do these things. He can skate. He gets to hike. He gets to talk in these voices. You know, how, I guess, how did that process look from going to where you were, you know, angry and guilty to happy and excited? I think for me, it was, I mean, it, it, it was time. It was the fact that enough time passed that I could look back on the hardest parts and see all the good that had blossomed from it. Um, I don't think I had the wherewithal to see that in the moment because I was just surviving the moment, especially when he was young. But as I saw how all of those different kind of crises unspooled into this wonderful person who was Charlie and just, and how I had changed um, to live a little bit more in the moment instead of worrying over the future um, or trying to control it. I think it it was that hindsight that really did it. And it just shows you like we are temporal creatures. Like we're born on a certain birthday that your birth certificate says, and we live a certain amount of time and we go through the stages, you know, there's a reason that we label them all like infancy and toddler and childhood and and teenage years and adolescence gets its own category and like the golden years like we we love to label all these eras in our lives but then you know God is outside of time like C.S. Lewis talks about how God is not on our timeline and because of that 
he has all that wisdom and he can see and experience each of our moments in exactly the way that they should be experienced. And we, we get glimpses of that as we proceed forward on our timeline, we can look back and then we see how God saw that moment, but it does, I think, take a little bit of distance to be able to do it. Yeah. And and as you go throughout this book, I mean, it's just, it's evident how beautiful of a human being Charlie is. And so it it, it broke my heart early in the book when you're talking about the scene where, you know, the kids are kind of chuckling at him and, you know, I, we were talking before we recorded about how I was also a high school English teacher and you were a high school English teacher and we see a lot of bullying in the schools too. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what, one of the things I, I wanted to, to make sure I talked to you about was, you know, how, how do we address that? I mean, you know, as a parent and as a teacher, I'm sure that you've seen this pretty prevalent, you know, I mean, I guess, how do we, what's, what's the one thing you've learned about bullying and how to handle that in your experience, both as a teacher and a parent? I think for me, so I'm trying to think how to say this in the right. So there are two kinds of bullying that I've seen. And it's the kind that I talk about in the book where there were these two boys that saw Charlie. He was probably four at this point, I think. And he was sitting in the front of the basket at the grocery store and kind of too big for that but you know he couldn't walk not that they knew that but he looked different he his he was drooling because he had an enlarged tongue and you could tell that he was different and these boys were staying at a distance and laughing and um and that's kind of a that's a little bit more of an active bullying because if charlie chose to notice it and acknowledge it he could see that they were kind of targeting him Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other bullying I see is more of a almost a neglect in that people will look past Charlie um, because maybe his wheelchair makes them uncomfortable. And so they yeah. kind of choose not to acknowledge it. And so there's kind of these two forms of bullying that I've encountered. But the funny thing is, I've the way to deal with both of them is essentially the same. Um, or at least for us it is, and it's really to close the gap between whoever the bully is and us, which means we'll go up and say, hi, what's your name? This is Charlie, and Charlie will wave. If it's someone who, even with the boys who were laughing, like that's what I tried to do. Um, And then if it's someone who kind of is choosing not to look at Charlie, Charlie, listen, he will want your attention, so we'll go for walks in the park, and he will wave at everyone to to get them to wave back because he wants to interact. So, so we'll be intentional about interacting with people um, wherever we are. And I think that is so much the key to all bullying that I see, because it's really easy to bully on social media now because there's a distance. Oh yeah. You never have to see the person. You can lob your insults in there or your little smart remark, and then you can run away. But the, the, the remedy to that is to pull in closer to people so that you can't forget that Charlie is a person if you're standing in front of him in the, at the park or the grocery store and, and he's waving at you. You know, right. you can't be impersonal in such a personal situation. And I think for, for us, for me as a teacher, and then also for me as a parent to Charlie now, that was the biggest key was breaking this distance that the bullying creates and pulling these two people or these groups of people together to have a conversation so that they can see that they're just people. Yeah. Because when it becomes personal, it gets a lot harder to, to mm-hmm. be that way towards a real human once you see them as a real human. Yeah, I thought the scene you described was heartbreaking in the sense that the children acted the way they did, but also the way that the mother acted yes. or reacted. And I know that I think you mentioned that maybe you could have handled it differently. Maybe you wish yeah. you would have said or done something more. But I also feel like I know that my nature, that if I were in your shoes, I would have had a very hard time not making a scene. And yeah. I think that, you know, as Christians, you know, we, we obviously we want to defend our kid. We want to stand up for our kid. But we also, you know, we, we don't want to cause a huge, massive scene and chew somebody out in public, even though our emotions might tell us that we want to do that. I mean, has that been something that you kind of had to learn? I mean, to try to, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever, like, for me, I know that my instinct would be to go, to go hard right at these people and yell at them. 
and it would be hard for me to control myself. I mean, is that something that you've had that you've dealt with and had to kind of control and respond elsewhere? Like you mentioned, you just said, hey, Charlie, can you wave at them? You know, which I think is such a graceful way to respond to a situation like that. I don't know that I would have the patience to do that in that moment. I mean, have you had to teach your brain to react a certain way or is that um, just kind of natural for you? You know, it's funny. It's like you catch me in one situation because I kind of have both tendencies. I don't love conflict. Like I'm a right. conflict avoider. Like I, I, I don't feel comfortable being the aggressor. And so, but my thoughts are, you know, like my thoughts are just loud. And so in that situation, I was, I mean, I could feel the heat, like I could feel the heat rising um, and probably, I mean, this wouldn't make sense because it was because Charlie was really, but if Charlie had not been there, yes, like I would have, it would have been much harder to control myself, but because he was sitting right in front of me and smiling and like clutching at me with his like cookie crumbled covered hands, like that kind of diffuses the situation. Now I do talk about a scene in the book, <laughs> um, when it was right after Charlie had major tongue surgery. And we couldn't get pain meds for him. Like they had messed up the orders. And so they weren't, they weren't coming. And the nurse was refusing to like break protocol to give him the pain meds, even though he needed them because the orders hadn't come through. And so I couldn't get anyone. And I, in that situation, I, I definitely lost it. Like I lost all rational thought, which is what anger is. It's when you lose all rational thought, you just yeah. lunge for whatever. Yeah. And I laid into the nurse like I was I, I, I like literally planted myself in front of her path. And I said, you cannot walk by me again while my son is over here in pain, you know, and it was like a defensive like I was being a mom. But it, and I also was upset. like I, I was very upset. <laughs> and so and then luckily Jody was there who was who was the voice of calm. And like he went about it in the right way, which actually led to Charlie getting the, the medicine and having a fruitful yeah. conversation about what happened. But, um, it's, it's one of those things that, that was a very humbling experience for me because I don't typically think of myself as someone who gives into anger like that, but to see, to see it in myself means we're all capable of mm -hmm. it. And oh my goodness. And then, and then flash forward to having twins and then you have three kids all the time that are fighting and that don't listen to you. And then you really get to practice putting control on your anger because, um, it's not all sweetness and light over here. Like right. just a second ago, I had one like scratching at my door, like mommy, mommy. And, and you know, like, <laughs> and then I hear fighting, you know? So, so I think that is the biggest test to like, anger management is become a parent and then have to and then have to get yourself in control because if you lose control everybody loses control that's so true that was for me that was one of the hardest things about being a teacher is mm. um, you know I have I'd have 30 kids in my classroom and a lot of times yeah. 10 to 12 of them did not have any interest in doing what we wanted to do and you know when when I felt like my job was dependent on the behavior of teenage kids and they weren't they weren't behaving well. Then my department head would come in to observe, and I was like, "Great." So I, I mean, I was guilty sometimes of losing it. And I had to t tell myself like, "I've got to keep it in control." And so I think the years that I taught really, um, you know, there were some bad days, there were some really good days. But I think overall, like it taught me like what you're saying, where it's like I've got to kind of be in control here. And hopefully, whenever I become a parent, that experience will will pay dividends as well because I know that my nature is. Like I have a very short temper a lot of times and I don't know where that came from, but I just, when something really triggers me, it's hard for me to like, not just go zero to a hundred. And mm -hmm. so I can only imagine how I would respond if, you know, like, especially, you know, you're already protective over your child as it is, but then mm -hmm. if you, whenever you add in the fact that they've got special needs and you feel like somebody is laughing at them because of those, yes. like, see, that would be very, that'd be very difficult. So, you know, I, I, I've always, you know, just, like I've, I've prayed for whenever I become a parent that, you know, I will always have that calm manner. Cause I know how my parents reacted. You know, my parents were very calm and very uh, like my dad is, my dad has always been very well uh, mannered and, you know, had a calm sense to him. And so I'm hoping that I can have the same thing. I just know that my, my, my natural response would have been a lot different. So I was really just, you know, I was, I was amazed and just 
impressed, I guess, by the fact that you were able to <laughs> respond in that way. And I guess that kind of you know, progressed a little bit forward into the book. You talk about, you know, just trying to be thankful for certain things. Mm-hmm. And um, you said, what if we could live this way a little more? What if, like your kids, you could replace worry with curiosity? It could make you thankful for anything. And it reminded me of a book that I read called Growing Down. And it was about uh, basically unlearning the patterns of adulthood to become more like children in the eyes of Jesus. And obviously it's talking about I love that. like a child and it's, you know, talking about, and I, and I've read several books that have really hit on this idea of just what it really means to have faith like a child where you're not questioning why something is the way it is. You're not, you're just trusting. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the, 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 one of the beautiful, most beautiful things about being a child is that imagination and curiosity. Mm-hmm. And as you get older, worry starts to replace that because you've got real life responsibilities. And so I just I love this idea of, you know, what if we removed worry and replaced it more with curiosity? How how much more thankful could we be? Um, I guess kind of in your words, expand on that a little bit. You know, obviously, we want people to pick up the book and, and read it, too. But I mean, I guess expand on that idea and where that thought process came from. I think um, I, I may, you know, you said you you have you have tendencies towards anger, like that's you, you have a temper. Which first, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that you will lose your temper with your kids, and I'm just giving <laughs> you grace right now that that is okay. That God will take care of that too, because we've got two cats try- and they're already testing me as it is. I'm surprised they're not scratching at the door. <laughs> See, so it's like if we try to be perfect parents or perfect whatever, then we're gonna fail and we're gonna get mad at ourselves. But luckily, God gives us grace over that. But um, but as far as the, so I'm a natural born worrier. Like I think I came out worried about what was gonna happen next. <laughs> like that's just the way that I am. And um, I think the only way that I have found to combat the worry and what, and this is what I mean by the curiosity is to make myself live closer in the moment that I'm in. Um, because if I can be closer in that moment, like calmer, I think I talk at one point about Winnie the Pooh and Piglet in the book and Winnie the Pooh and Piglet, you know, I think, I think Piglet says like, what do you, what's your perfect day? Or, or, and then, and he said, and Piglet says, mine would be going on an adventure and coming back and, and being able to talk about it. And Winnie the Pooh says, well, mine would be a nice cup of tea and a pot of honey. And then they both stop and they think, you know, that's kind of the same thing. It's kind (laughs) of the same thing because it's this idea that we all have expectations for like what our day is going to be or what our life is going to be. And the key is to be satisfied in a way with whatever comes, even if it's not what you expect. And so if you can wake up and look towards whatever the day holds with a curiosity, instead of trying to put your own expectations on it, then the worry lessens. Because if you, if you look at it like, well, God's already got this day in control and basically my whole life, then really me exerting my own little like claws of control on it isn't going to do anything. So I should just choose to be curious and let the adventure come at me. Let that cup of tea and that honey be served to me and enjoy whatever comes. And then in that way, I will automatically be more satisfied with my life because I'm not trying to put my own expectations on it because think about it if you put expectations on a day or on your child or on your spouse and they fulfill them great but then all that does is reaffirm yourself and your own kind of control over your life in a way that isn't true but if you don't put those expectations on and you see them do whatever it is that they are designed to do then you can give thanks to God for carrying everybody through. So even if when your expectations are met, it almost points to the wrong thing. So it's better just to live closer to the moment and then be satisfied with what comes. And I can say this all day long and I still don't always do it because it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard to do when you're like me and you're a worrier and you like to project and, 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 
it makes you feel safer to think you have the day planned out. And so this is kind of a thing that I, I have to practice every day because no day is the same. And even though I want it to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had to really retrain my own brain to just not worry about so many things. And uh, it's just, it's, it's hard because I naturally just as a journalist, like my mindset is to find out the answer to something and know mm-hmm. what's going on. And so when I don't know that it's like, man, I, I, I get very, like, you know, whenever I'm thinking about something in the future or, you know, uh, for instance, whenever Emily and I were figuring out whether or not we needed to move and I needed to leave my job, it was like, oh my gosh, all this worry. And yeah, it's just hard because it's, that's natural. And even though God says, don't worry, it's like, well, that's my human nature and I can't really help it sometimes. So um, one of the well, things it's like too a, that- It's like a rubric rubik's cube that like you don't want to put it down until all the colors match but like god's like no just put it down just put down the puzzle but like you're like oh but there's if i just twist it this way or this way then maybe i can just get it done myself yeah yeah And, and you and you talk a lot about you know that kind of similar there's another quote here that kind of goes I had several like I whenever I read a book I highlight so much stuff and it's hard to pick out the ones that I like but it's like every book that I have it's like yeah it's like I can't I cannot read a book without having a highlighter like I I learned that in college too I was a professor that was like if you're reading and you don't have something in your hand to make notes and you're not really reading so every single book it's like people want to borrow my books and I'm like okay you just got to get past all the highlights and the notes but for me it's like I I visually remember a book better whenever I know that I've highlighted it so I always tell my whenever I taught books I would tell my students you know if you're just sitting there passively looking at it you're not really reading it so my, my actually my preferred way to read a book is to listen to an audio version of it and then also read it at the same time mm-hmm. and highlight it. So I'm getting like the auditory Double whammy. and like the kinetic, the kinetic reading. And then like actually, so I, I if I, if, if for me, it's a hard time to stay, fo- I have a hard time staying focused whenever I'm reading a book. And that actually has helped whenever I was a teacher, it helped me because I was like, okay, I have to be focused to teach these books and I can't just zone out because then I won't know what I'm talking about. So, yep. um, but, but one of your quotes that you said, too, it says, uh, to remain hopeful as a parent to a child with special needs requires humility and faith in large quantities taken dutifully every single day. And I think that goes along with the idea of worrying where you're saying, you know, I've got to just be humble and have faith. You know, I guess, how has that process looked as well from, you know, when Charlie was born until now to where you've been able to develop that mindset? I think it's been, I think it it's almost like god put me through boot camp for humility and patience um because there were so many situations i found myself in that i had no control over um you know when those seizures happened like luckily he's outgrown them but i remember kneeling on the floor not even sure where i should put my hands on charlie because he was shaking so hard and there's no greater feeling of like being ineffectual than as a parent who can't keep your child safe. Um, and then having him whisked away by the paramedics and then I can't even ride in the back of the ambulance. They won't even let me back there with him and watching people bag him and, you know, over the mouth and the oxygen and then, and then having all these experts not know what's going on. Like there, there were so many situations that, were humbling because there was literally nothing that I could do to fix it. Um, and all I could do was pray. Like I couldn't even put my hands on him. And, and as a mother, that's all I wanted to do was at least let him feel me, you know? And, and I do have this one memory of him. Like they had just taken him off the stretcher into the emergency room and they wouldn't let me cross the threshold into the room because there were so many doctors around him. And he literally looks up at me and reaches for me and they won't let me in. Like it was heartbreaking. And so I think that the thing that I've had to let go of was that in the long run, this is so hard to even say, but in the long run, Charlie isn't ultimately mine. He's God's. Yeah. And if that doesn't humble you as a parent, like, I don't know what will, because God is the one that has carried him through so far. He has granted me the gift of being Charlie's mom, but 
Charlie is ultimately God's child. And I have to remember that and trust that God's going to take care of him even when I can't. Um, and if, and it's just, it's so humbling and, and, and it's comforting in a way. It's also scary in a way because I, I've never felt so strongly about a little human ever. And to think that, you know, to think that like, nobody is mine, but really, you know, he's, he's mine, but he's God's, you know, and, and it's, it's a, again, it's that hard thing to remember that you do have to remember because it actually makes me a better parent because it, it lifts some of that weight and some of that guilt off of me when I feel like I'm not doing things great, you know, cause I know, okay, well, God's got this, even if I don't. Man, I just, I love your perspective on all of that. That's so great to just, I mean, I, I don't know that I've really ever heard a parent talk about a child that way to say, you know, look, they're naturally not mine. They're God's. I mean, I'm sure I've heard it in some fashion, but I don't know that it just it sounded a little different there. And I loved it just the way that you put that, because yeah, I can't imagine that scene where he's being wheeled away and you're like, I can't even yeah, be with my child. Will. Yeah. Like I just, uh, like just envisioning that breaks my heart. You know, I just, I, I can't imagine, you know, for me, like uh, one of the questions that I had for you too, and I, as you went through this, I mean, did you go through any periods where you were, I mean, I assume you, you know, you were angry with God and did, did your faith ever feel like it was being tested? I mean, what did that process look like where, you know, or how did you, how did you keep the strong faith that you have in God throughout all these, you know, tough times that you've gone through? Uh, I'm going to say that I don't think I did. Like, I think I, I never lost faith in God, but I was definitely angry. There was there. I was bitter about things like when we first got his CP diagnosis and it was official, like I, I it was very hard to hear that and have that kind of stamped on his file. And then, you know, with the seizures and things like right when we felt like we had just gotten into a stable place and then he started having these seizures, like there were definitely these waves of just like, God, really? Why are you doing it? Like, I don't understand why you would put us through this again. What did we do to you that would make you put us through this? And I think the biggest thing I learned is that God can handle my anger and my bitterness. Like, I don't have to pretend to feel something I don't. The thing that would be worse would to, would be to do that or to not talk to God at all. Mm -hmm. Um, so I ranted and railed and yelled and, and really just let it all out. Cause I, I, I mean, there was no other way that I could have done it. And, and the thing that's great about that is I felt it was cathartic because then as again, like I talked about before hindsight, as time passed, I could see that God never left Charlie or me or my family, even when I was so angry or circumstances were so bleak, because I, I really am not a fan of the it's all in God's plan band aid that people say about things, because they often say it right when you're in this like deep emotional oh, yeah. and there's nothing that you need to hear less than that. And I think, yes, while that is a truth, like everything is part of God's plan, you need to feel like you can you can go through all of those emotions and stuff. God's God can handle it. You know, like yeah. he needs you need to be able to doubt and wonder and be angry and be confused at your your life scenario that you find yourself in. Because if you don't, then that's not a real relationship. It's like when you think about your spouse. Like if you can't express all the emotions to your spouse and and go through all the things you go through as a human and know that they're still going to be there, then that's not a genuine relationship. Uh, that's so true. And yeah. so for me, I think that is what got me through was feeling all the emotions and not ignoring them. Yeah, that's, that's really true. Cause I mean, I, I, I'm in the process of writing what I hope will become my first book. And it's, it, it focuses on a period where I, I lost somebody that I loved pretty dearly to me. And, um, I went through the emotions of where I was angry and I, not necessarily doubting faith, but I was asking very deep questions and wondering why certain things were the way they were and not understanding everything. And it was a very hard time. And, you know, the last couple of years since that happened, it's been um, really just learning, like, I don't know the answers to everything and I can't know the answers to everything. And I think what you just said is, a, is beautiful too. Like, if you can't express all of your emotions to God, it's not a genuine relationship. I, I love that so much because yeah, I mean, as Christians, I feel like, you know, we often feel like we're um, 
it's it's bad if we have any sort of negative emotion toward God. And, mm-hmm. you know, just like you might get annoyed with your spouse or a friend or angry or upset, you know, God is ready for those emotions as well. God can handle those emotions. And I think that, yeah, like we want our relationship with God to be a genuine relationship. And if we don't have all those emotions that, you know, God, God felt all those emotions too. Mm-hmm. Or G- Jesus felt all those emotions whenever he was on earth, like he felt all those emotions. And so, um, you know, they're normal emotions to be felt and God can handle those. So I think that's a beautiful way to put that. Um, so the show is called in no hurry. And so one of my favorite questions to ask people, um, sort of, sort of for the end of the show is, you know, what do you kind of do, obviously for you, whatever your life is going crazy and hectic, what do you kind of do to just slow down and relax a little bit, I guess, both individually and then as a family, you guys live in Nashville, which is one of my wife and I's favorite cities. So there's plenty to do there for fun, but yeah, what do you, what do you guys do to kind of just slow down and relax and get away from the craziness of life a little bit? So it's actually really funny because my answer to what I do for myself alone and the answer to what we do as a family is actually the same. So (laughs) for me, what I like to do is I like to go for walks and I'll listen to a podcast or sometimes I won't, I won't listen to anything at all. And I'll just kind of walk and like, let my mind go wherever it is. Um, That's one of my favorite things because like as a writer, it helps me immeasurably like if I if there's ever because I write fiction too you know the middle grade books are fiction and so if there's ever like a plot problem or a character plot problem I don't sit and stare at my computer because that would make me crazy I'll go walk and I'll intentionally not even think about it and usually somewhere in my brain by the time I'm done walking I'll be closer to fixing it because just moving my body and being out in nature is does something for your mind that nothing else will. And so same, same thing as a family, that's what we love to do. Um, that, that like, if there's ever a couple hours, we, my husband, he, he loves maps and he loves all this stuff. So he'll map out where we're going to go and we'll go for hikes or walks in, in places we've never been and, and make it like a family day trip. And it's our favorite thing to do because it's just us out there together there's no technology and it's just, I don't know, there's just something s- sweet and special about it when you're not looking at your phone or the clock and and you're not around crowds. And we've had some of our best moments as a family just going for random hikes. And some of them have been terrible. Like like it started pouring down rain and we are miles <laughs> and, and somebody has to go to the bathroom. I mean, they have definitely not been these magical, peaceful moments, but they're always so great because you always come back with a story. Oh yeah. So I would say that that's, that's kind of our favorite way to unwind. Awesome. What are some of your, what are you, what are your guys' favorite restaurants in Nashville? Oh my gosh, there's so many. So to go with the kids, that's a different answer. So with the kids, we love Mafiosa's. It's a pizza place. Okay. Um, great story about Mafiosa's. My husband and I, it's where we went on our first date and uh. it's, we also left our wedding on the, cause we got married. We got married at like 1030 in the morning. We left our wedding reception and went and picked up a pizza from Mafioso. <laughs> yes. Brass knuckles, spicy Buffalo chicken pizza. So that is our favorite place to go take the kids now because they give you pizza dough that the kids can shape and then they fire it for them. And wow, so, awesome. yeah, it's fun. So that's for them. And then we live down in Franklin. And so we love um, Gray's on Main. It's like uh, it was a pharmacy and it's been converted into a restaurant. And it's incredible. Everything there is incredible. Yeah. Do you do you guys go to a lot of coffee shops down there at all? My wife is like obsessed with co- Well, we both are. We're both obsessed with coffee shops. But like Frothy Monkey. Frothy uh, Monkey, yes. Crema, barista parlor. Gosh, there's so many. I don't even. We have the good cup down the road from us, which is good. Um, we love. So this was a date thing that Jody and I used to do every Saturday. Again, life before children. We would go and we would go to Sam and Zoe's, which is a coffee shop, um, kind of north of, just south of of downtown. Um, and we would sit and we would get coffee and bagels and lox and cream cheese. And we would do crossword puzzles out on their deck. And that was our favorite thing to do every Saturday. Our first date was actually in Nashville too. We went to, uh, 
Pinewood. You're familiar with that? Mm-hmm. It's near near Ascend. Bowling, so, yeah, we, Pinewood Social, where you go bowling. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So no, so we go there every. I think I think we've missed it one year, but my wife is really big on kind of recreating. Like, I guess she's big on traditions. So, um, you know, whenever we first started dating, uh, we would go to Nashville all the time, and we still do go as much as we can, especially now that we're only living an hour away. But uh, yeah, we so we always go to to Pinewood and do dinner and drinks there and we usually mm-hmm. try to do it around like the time that we started dating so it's kind of like a late summer early fall little trip that we take down there so yeah we, we love Nashville we, we Emily uh w- would go down there every single weekend if, if she if her <laughs> allowed for it because she loves shopping at Abel and shopping in Green Hills and doing all the you know whatever else I, I sometimes she'll just go down there with her friends but yeah I love going down there because we try to go to all of the concerts that we try to see, we always try to go to the Ryman whenever, you know, if our artists are playing at the Ryman, we try to go see them there. And then in the summer, we love going to the shows at the Ascend Amphitheater. Yeah. So if we could, if we could live there, we would probably, but nice that we're just an hour away and we can go down there whenever we want to. You could probably, you could probably come down every weekend and still not eat at all the new restaurants that are popping up around town. Like it is just, yeah. it's such a good foodie place. And you're right. Oh, yeah. the music obviously is kind of hard to beat and there's no bad seat at the Ryman. Like it's just, it's a yeah. great, I'm, I'm very grateful to have lived in this city my whole life. I mean, I was born here, so okay. I'm a native Nashvilleian, which there aren't many of us. So I, I'm very appreciative of where I, I come from. Yeah. She, uh, she picks up a lot of, stuff in Nashville like most of you know a lot of the authors that she reads live in Nashville and then she also listens to Andy Downs podcast all the time and so you know she's always got Nashville people on there talking about the next new restaurant and so Emily will hear Emily will hear of some new restaurant that I never heard of and she's like oh this is where we're gonna go you know like so like she she's doing something right now called the contentment challenge I don't know if you've ever heard of that but it's Mm -hmm. basically where she goes three months without spending any money on anything unnecessary. So what that has meant is that we've not been able to take any Nashville trips because she'd spend too much money. So she's counting down the days until that's done so that we can go, go down to Nashville. So she's looking forward to it. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Cause our anniversary is two days before Christmas. And so after we got married in Bowling Green, we went to Nashville that night and stayed at the Omni downtown nice. before we flew out for our honeymoon. And so every year we've gone down to, it, it seems to have worked out where it's either Johnny Swim or uh, Drew Holcomb and the neighbors and his wife, Ellie, are playing some sort of a Christmas show in, in December. So her birthday's in December, so we always go to that show. And then around our anniversary, we'll go, you know, we'll stay at the Omni. And a couple years ago, that we got to see a show at the Skirmahorn on the same night as our anniversary and then stay at the Omni. So it was a really nice trip. So we always go down and stay at the Omni and make a big trip out of it. And that's kind of like our big go-to anniversary trip. So that's, yeah, Nashville's got a very, very special place in our heart. So we were pretty devastated when we saw the, the storms that happened and the devastation there. But I mean, it's a strong city and they're, they're going to rebound for sure. We will, we will rebuild. I have a fun fact for you. Um, Cause you mentioned Johnny Swim and Drew. So Amanda, the one half of Johnny Swim, mm-hmm. uh, went to school with me, one oh, grade wow. older than me. And Ellie, one half of Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors, Ellie Holcomb, was in my grade and went to school with me all the way through. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, yeah. So, she like, <laughs> kindergarten through senior year, Ellie and I were in the, are in the same grade. And Amanda, she came a little bit later, and she was in the grade above me, and we all did theater together. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. So there's a tiny world for you. That is, it's, I, I uh, do, do you know Barnabas Piper? Have you met him before? Do you know who he is? So he's John Piper's son and he oh, lives okay. in Nashville. And I, I got coffee with him a couple months ago and he was telling me about how he was going out to dinner with some friends and he was just saying, this is like kind of like what you're describing about how Nashville is, but he was at dinner with some friends. They were going to see a concert and uh, some, a couple people sit down and, you know, he, he knew who Drew and Ellie were, but like, I guess didn't recognize them. And people started talking to him about Drew. And then somebody said Ellie and he looked up and he was like, I realized I was sitting at the table with Drew and Ellie Holcomb. And he's like, that's just how national, like national is just crazy where like people will just show up out of nowhere. And like one time Emily and I were down on 12th South that we were going to, uh, what's that donut shop down there? Like four daughters bakery or something. Five like daughters that. bakery. Five daughters. Yeah. And we got there and like apparently five minutes before we got there, Reese Witherspoon had just been there. Well, and her they, store is right there. Drake yeah. and Jane. 
is right there, yeah. Yeah, and that's where that's where you just had your book. I uh, just had my event there yeah. this week, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's you know we got there and we wanted to get some donuts, but there were none left, and somebody's like, yeah, Reese Witherspoon came and bought the rest of the donuts. So you're like, man, Reese, come on, yeah, leave a donut for a guy. <laughs> I do I do love Nashville though, because anytime we go to a concert there. We we did, I was talking to I had a couple friends on uh, th- this week actually that live out in California and I was telling them about how when my wife and I go to shows at the Ryman or anywhere in Nashville, we just never know what kind of special guest is going to show up on yeah. stage because they're all friends with each other. Like we saw Drew Drew Holcomb a couple years ago and then Ben Rector came out and sang a song with them. Oh yeah. And so and then whenever we saw Johnny Swim, they just they brought Colby Calais out with them and I was like, oh my gosh, like. You just never know who's going to come out on the stage whenever they're playing a show. So that's Nashville is just a very special town. I'm happy that we're close to it where we can go. And I wish we could live there. We do have some friends that live in Franklin. So we visit them occasionally as well. I had a friend that was a pastor at a church of Franklin. He just moved from there. So I was like, well, now I can't go visit him. But uh, yeah, we got some other friends that live in Franklin and some other friends that live in like closer to downtown Nashville. So We'll just have to make more trips here later this year. Yes, after the contentment challenge ends. <laughs> exactly, yeah. This is the second time she's done that. I'm impressed. There's no way that I could do that because I, I I don't buy a whole lot of stuff for myself, but I, I would be – like I love going to get coffee. And like, and she's done that too. Like I think she's made some exceptions this time around that she didn't the last time. But yeah. for, it's, her, for her, it's been more about like not buying clothes and just like sure. unnecessary things. Like Because she, she's talked about how like – you know, around our house, like she's really, really good at decorating our house and like mm-hmm. being nice. And she just like sometimes she'll just get bored of how something looks and want to get something new. And so she's like, you know, I just I got to get away from that because I just I don't need to buy that kind of stuff. So, yeah, she's uh, she's counting down the days. And I think I think it ends like right at Easter. So it was like a perfect timing where it's like, like for Lent. Kind, of like, kind of like an extended Lent period. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jamie, where can people purchase this book if they want to buy that? I guess on your website or where should they go to look so- for this it is available everywhere books are sold. So Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Lifeway, wherever you buy books, it'll be there. Um, also, my website, you can find everything there. It's jamie-sumner.com. Um, but yeah, wherever. Eat, and where, sleep, save the world. Where can, where can people follow you on social media if they want to follow you? So I'm on Twitter at Jamie Sumner and then underscore, and I'm on Facebook, jamiesumner.org, and I'm on Instagram, Jamie Sumner underscore author. So I'm kind of all over. If you search Jamie Sumner, you'll probably find me. All right. Well, I definitely recommend this book, whether you are the parent of a special needs child or not. I think there's something in there that we all can learn. Um, just about parenting and if nothing else to understand what special needs parents you, you know go through and what parenting is like and so I, I definitely recommend this book for anybody that's listening I hope they'll go and, and pick that book up as well but Jamie thank you so much for uh, for coming on to the show it's so great to talk to you and, and learn a little bit more about you and your your family and Charlie and hear about this book as well so thank you for coming on thank you I just really appreciated her perspective on parenting and how she approaches daily life with her family and her special needs child. I really appreciated her writing this book and taking the time to talk about it. And I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from Jamie about her family and how she and Charlie go about their daily lives. We recorded this really about a couple weeks ago before a lot of the coronavirus stuff hit. So that's why there wasn't a whole lot of talk about it because Life has changed so much since that conversation. So we didn't talk about it a whole lot, which I hope actually was a good thing. I hope you're probably getting already inundated enough with coronavirus stuff that I hope this conversation served as somewhat of a uh, break from all of that. So I just hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for tuning in. And obviously check out her book, check out her website, check out her work. She also writes occasionally for the New York Times and some other publications. So make sure that you check her out and just... uh, Give her a follow. Let her know that you enjoyed hearing her on this episode. If you guys need me at all, you guys know where to find me. I'm Cole Claiborne on pretty much any social media platform. I would love to connect with you guys. Love to hear how you're spending this coronavirus quarantine, social distancing, awkward period that we find ourselves living in. Just curious how you guys are spending your time. We can't do a whole lot. We can't really watch sports or do anything else. So be curious to hear how you guys are spending your time. Also, feel free to send me an email in no hurry at coleclayborn.com. 
Also, would really appreciate it if you would take the time to just leave a quick review on Apple Podcasts and let people know why you're listening to this show, maybe what you've enjoyed about it so far. It helps people know that this is a show that they might also enjoy listening to. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you guys find some time to not be in a hurry, which they're in an easy time to do that right now because there's not a whole lot of distractions. But nonetheless, I hope you guys find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you next week.